0: Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. The last three Sundays, a group of us have gathered in the afternoons to learn about the Episcopal Church. Our last session this past Sunday was about worship. We learned about what it means to be a liturgical church, how our worship is structured and shaped and informed by the Book of Common Prayer, and why we do what we do here at Trinity in our different worship services. But before we did any of that, we started with a question and I have been thinking about the wonderful answers I heard from the participants. The question was simply this, what do you need or want to experience in worship? The answers included things like this, to feel welcomed, to be comforted, to be reminded and stretched and challenged and encouraged to experience an invitation to connect, to understand more about love, and to come as I am, and then leave changed or transformed in some way. What would your answer be to that question? What do you need or want to experience in worship? I encourage you to think about it, and if you haven't thought about it, Come up with an answer and then share it with me. I would love to hear. You see, the word liturgy, our word for describing our public or corporate worship, comes from the Greek word liturgia, which actually means public duty, or sometimes translated as the work of the people. In other words, Trinity's worship is our public, participatory, communal prayer. It is our community's expression and response to becoming beloved community—to lean into what it means to follow the way of love, to learn about and engage and wrestle with the Episcopal tradition that we have inherited, and, perhaps most importantly, worship is about becoming a church that looks and acts like Jesus. So how does all of that connect both to our Lenten journey and specifically to what we just heard in the Gospel according to Luke, the very familiar story, the parable of the prodigal son? During these five Sundays of this season of Lent, leading us up to Holy Week, followed by Easter, we have embraced the theme of Made for Goodness, taken from the title of a book by Desmond and Mpo Tutu. As two religious leaders and prolific writers, the Tutus have offered us a lens from which we have chosen to explore, perhaps from a new perspective, some of the traditional themes of this liturgical season. Historically, Lent was a time of engaged formation in the church, a time of catechesis or learning and preparation for baptism. It has also become a season of invitation into a time of reflection and renewal, repentance and reconciliation. We have lifted up both the importance of those facets of our faith journey and tradition, while also acknowledging some of the challenging aspects of this particular season and the lexicon of words that it embraces. As we have said at the very start of this journey, members of historically marginalized communities of all sorts have had their share of religious words used against them. Words like sin and guilt, repentance and shame and judgment have often been weaponized and jettisoned at us doing horrific and heartbreaking damage to the landscape of our souls. So... We have approached this season of Lent with intentionality. We have been seeking to balance both the richness of Scripture and the beauty of our ancient liturgies, alongside with our yearning to connect deeply with God's love and the call to be remade in the image of God's goodness day after day as we follow Jesus. It might not surprise you to hear that the tutus love this parable we just heard. And it's a good thing, let me say, because it is one that I have often struggled with. The Tutus describe the parable of the prodigal son as a beautiful example of what they call perfect love. They write, What is God's perfect love? How can we emulate it? Because none of us have mastered perfect love, It is almost impossible to conceive of such a love in God. Perfect love is not an emotion. It is not how we feel. It is what we do. Perfect love is action that is not wrapped up in self-regard, and it has no concern with deserving. Instead, perfect love is love poured out. It is the self-offering made out of the joy of giving. It requires no prompting. It seeks no response and no reward. God's love is perfect because God always and only performs acts of love. The father in the parable of the prodigal son shows us this beautifully, this perfect love. Then they go on to unpack the moments of the story as you might expect. God, in the role of the Father, responds with this kind of perfect love towards both his sons from beginning to end. And while I have absolutely no quarrel with this effusive and generous description of perfect love as a poignant aspiration, I still struggle with other aspects of the parable. Let's start with the moniker most common for this passage, the parable of the prodigal son. What's that all about? I actually had to go look up the word prodigal because when it came right down to it, I realized I wasn't completely sure what that word meant. Do you know what it means? I found two definitions. First, spending money or resources freely and recklessly wastefully extravagant and then having or giving something on a lavish scale. So, okay, I kind of get it. The younger son, after demanding his inheritance, leaves home and squanders his inheritance recklessly until he is penniless and hungry and comes crawling back home. But is that really the main point of the story? enough to warrant naming the parable that way after him? That's always been a little bit confusing. And then there is the traditional interpretation that I would describe as giving in to the temptation of reducing the brothers into caricatures and stereotypes of what I believe is a false and therefore unhelpful dichotomy of choice. Some have described the younger brother as the the let-your-hair-down-throw-caution-to-the-wind-live-and-let-live brother, who finally learns his lesson and comes home. And the older brother, then, as the stoic, calculating, never-spontaneous, always-duty-bound brother who's never taken a risk in his life. The problem with those caricature descriptions is that they keep the brothers separated from themselves in the story and separated from us making it hard for us to really understand that there might be a part of both of those brothers in us and something for us to reflect on deeply on our own journeys. And then my third problem or struggle with this parable is simply the unavoidable anthropomorphic male-dominated language. In other words, Every time I hear biblical stories that so directly assign or assume human and male attributes to the divine, and in this case there is simply no way around the father of these two sons in the role of God, I have to do some mental gymnastics to find a way to hear the power of the text with an open heart. This is not a struggle for everybody I know. But if you also wrestle with language that preferences this style of writing, I get it. And I think that it is worth navigating our way through to find the depth and meaning offered by these sacred texts. So, in light of all of that, where does this leave us today? What happens when we pull together these seemingly disparate parts and pieces? Our work first to create a worshiping community that looks and acts like Jesus. Our Lenten theme of being made for goodness. The Tutu's description of perfect love. The awkward use of the word prodigal in the title of this parable. The temptation to succumb to a false dualism as if the brothers don't embody important elements in each of us for the story. And finally, the stumbling block for some of us by the language and the imagery used in the telling of this parable. Well, here is one possibility. The Tale of the Prodigal Mother. Once upon a time, there was a mother who had two beautiful children. Over the years, her children grew up and grew apart, but she loved them both like a lioness loves her cubs. They tested her year after year, pushing and prodding, but she was fierce in her love and care. No matter what they did, she was always there. She mothered them in a way that saw the goodness in them, even when they couldn't see the goodness in themselves. The younger child was tormented by inner demons and acted out of pain and fear, rejecting the love of everyone around them. The older child was loyal and quiet, yearning for connection and belonging, but too afraid to reach out to their sibling, who was aloof, if not angry, all the time. They were siblings, yes, but eventually stopped talking to each other, and even became resentful of one another. They loved their mother, but they had forgotten how to love each other. Years passed and the mother continued to love her now grown children. She remained open and forgiving, supportive and patient, curious and connected in every way they allowed her to be. She saw beyond their pain and waited patiently as they made their own choices. Her love was, well, prodigal, you might say, in the kind of extravagant generosity she lavished on them, both recklessly without reason or merit, and expected nothing in return. Then one morning, the mother woke and found her younger child gone, and the safe in their home was empty. She made the necessary arrangements to continue to care for herself and her oldest and it didn't take long for them to adjust with limited resources. And then every night, after dinner and the dishes, she went out to sit on the porch and wait for her youngest to come home. Days, weeks, months, years went by, and patiently she rocked in her chair and waited. And then, one night, just as she was getting up from her rocking chair, She saw something far off in the distance and she knew, as only a parent can, exactly who it was. Without a second thought, she was up and running down the road with open arms. She stumbled through the dark, nearly falling twice, stubbing her big toe and losing a shoe, but nothing, no nothing could keep her from getting her arms wrapped around her child. There was nothing to be said of the past. No explanations, no apologies, just plans to cook a favorite meal and celebrate their return and a plan for the future. But the family reunion was stilted when the older sibling refused to come down to dinner that night. The chasm had grown too wide between the two and the resentment of being left behind to take care of their mother was real. So the mother took a plate of food and an extra helping of dessert up to their room and sat on their bed and listened. When they had finished explaining how upset they were and how resentful they felt after doing everything right, the mother took them in her arms and said, "'You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And we will always celebrate you both without exception.' No matter where you go, no matter what happens, no matter how lost you may be at times in your heart or in the world, you will always be loved, welcome, and wanted here. May it be so.